0: Broadcasting from Dallas, Texas via ThrillerX and supported by listeners like you. Bitcoin, maximalism, hard money, interviews, fighting, memes, panels, promises, truth, and lies. Keeping you up to date on everything Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller, Bit,
1: Block, Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Crypto. Today is August thirtieth, twenty twenty, and we are talking Bit Block Boom. That's right. I'm about to check out of this hotel here in Dallas, Texas, and I thought, you know what? Let's go ahead and do our recap episode before I leave, while it's still fresh in my mind, right? You go to a lot of these conferences, you start seeing that you forget <laughs> half the people you met as soon as you leave the, leave the place. Um, so I'm gonna kind of give you my kind of thoughts on this Boom conference. And the reason I wanna do this is because this is, if you listen to our previous Thriller Crypto episode that we released on our main channel, Gary really sold the fact that this was a Bitcoin maximalist conference. For Bitcoin maximalists and that's a really touchy subject in the crypto space so I want to give you my thoughts on that I want to give you my thoughts on exactly what I heard in the hallways <laughs> what I what I saw kind of what my thoughts were on the speakings and presentations but before we do all of that let me give you probably the most entertaining um speakings that I saw there the first one is from Jimmy Song. And I don't know Jimmy personally. I've ran into him a couple times in, at South by. Um, I, I tend to see him in Austin whenever there's anything Bitcoin related. But I don't personally know him, right? Other than the fact that he is a prominent Bitcoin maximalist who is a also a developer and a book writer and really intelligent. So. When I saw him give this presentation, I, I couldn't help but think like, gosh, he looks really nervous. Uh, I've seen him speak several times. And every time I see him speak, he just looks really cool, casual, you know, to the point. But this time he just just looked nervous. Um, and for whatever reason, you can kind of tell what he was talking about was really personal to him. Um, there, was a, there was a questionnaire afterwards and uh, somebody asked him a personal question and he answered it, uh, which was kind of surprising because a lot of people in the space don't usually do that. They don't want to dox themselves. So this first talk um, is from Jimmy Song and he talks about the moral case for Bitcoin. And he really does a really good job of really hitting home with you know, individual liberty uh, versus elitist vision. And you can tell he really f- fundamentally believes in this stuff, right, f- at its core level. Um, one of the things that I was really surprised with was just how personal this this uh, presentation for him was. Uh, it was afterwards that I saw him post a tweet, and it said something to the likes of, gosh, I miss going to conferences. I miss this, and I feel humbled by it. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of what I saw up there on on that stage was somebody who, probably nervous, because they haven't done this in quite some time, but was talking from a place where it was really personal to him, what he was speaking about. So take a listen.
0: two theories of individual rights that we'll cover. Um, this is individual rights from a natural law perspective and positivism. Uh, second thing we're going to talk about is government's role. Uh, it's going to be about individual liberty versus an elitist vision. And we'll talk about what that means a little bit. Then we'll get to fiat versus bitcoin and how those uh, both of those relate to the previous two. Uh, you know what? What what is its stance on individual rights and its uh, and the role of government? And finally, uh, it, no talk on uh, a moral case for Bitcoin would be complete without talking something about virtue, uh, or what what it is what it means to have better character. And so, on. and we'll we'll talk about the incentives around those in that last section. And uh, I, I titled it Bitcoin fixes this because. Fiat has corrupted character in ways that we do not fully appreciate. All right, so let's let's get started. Natural law versus positivism. And what, what we're going to talk about here is the theory of rights. Um, and there, there are two main theories. The first is the theory of natural law. This is the idea that rights are something we already have and that you know, if, if they're violated by anyone, including government, that it is a violation of moral law. So this is a passage from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this is from the Declaration of Independence. The reason why uh, you know, the colonists felt like they couldn't declare independence was because they felt like their natural rights were being violated by England, right? That, that the English king was violating their natural rights and therefore it was not a legitimate government. That was their argument, okay? That's the basis of natural law. We already have these rights and if you violate them, then you are an illegit- illegitimate government. Now the other view is something called positivism and this is the idea. That the government gives you rights, that the government gives you things that you can and cannot do, and that rights are not legitimate unless the government explicitly gives them to you. So this is a good example. If you, if you, you can give someone a haircut at home, but if you want to get paid for it, you have to get a license, you have to get permission. Somebody has to say that you can from government, from the authority, and they are the arbiter of morality. That is the positivist uh, you know, view of morality, or uh, of rights. So why would people like natural law? Well, I mean, first of all, it's common sense, right? And uh, that, that was one of the tracks from the uh, you know Spirit of 76 was Thomas Paine's Common Sense. It's, it's just very intuitive. Uh, natural law is intuitive. Okay, it's wrong to kill people, right, with no reason, and things like that. Um, it's also fairly just and universal. It's, it's very easy to say, okay, um, this person violated this person's rights. Uh, and it's, it's fair to people. And finally, it is individual-centric because you are protecting each individual's natural rights. They have the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness and other things. And, and uh, it's attractive for those reasons. Now why would anyone like positivism? Well, usually it's people in power, and the reasons are, first, uh, it's much easier to enforce. Right? Uh, positivism says if you, if you are not given that right, then you are in violation. Right? If, if you are not, if you don't have a license to cut someone's hair, then you are in violation if you are take, collecting payment for that. Uh, and therefore it makes enforcement much, much easier. With natural law, you, you get new technologies and stuff like that, Do you have the right to privacy on a device that's on the cloud and things like that. It's very hard to figure out and it, it requires a lot of thought and a lot of jurisprudence in order to figure out. With positivism, it's very easy for the authorities to enforce because you it, it, it either is or it isn't in violation of the rights that they've given you. And that means that um, you know, they, they have the right, more or less, to change the scales of justice. They could, they could say, okay, well, we're going to tra- treat these people differently than these people, and, uh, and this is very convenient for those in power. And it's very beneficial to uh, bureaucrats because they get to set the rules. They get to to say, okay, this is something that we get to do. do. And you have no recourse uh, because we get to set the rules. There's no higher authority that you can appeal to and say this is unfair. So that's natural law versus positivism. And at this point, I want you to recognize that natural law is moral, positivism is highly immoral. And in in fact, uh, if you look throughout history, all of the worst governments with the worst atrocities, every single one of them was positivist. The state gives you the right to do something. The state gives you the right to do X, Y, or Z. And they take stuff like your right to life, your right to liberty, your right to pursue happiness. Uh, and that, that's one of the things that they end up doing with, uh, with the power that they have. Um, so if, if you're a believer in positivism, you can sort of stop the talk right now, I don't really have anything more to say to you. Uh, but if you're a believer in natural law, let's go on. Let's talk about the role of government. Because there are two possible rules of government, individual liberty versus an elitist vision. And uh, the, the, according to the Declaration of Independence, it's all about individual liberty, right? To, uh, the government's job is to make sure that you protect the rights of individuals. Um, the elit- uh, we'll, we'll talk about elitist vision, but th- this is more or less the difference. It's leave us alone versus take care of us all, right? Some, some vision that you might have. And, and you know, I, I rea- realize that this slide makes it look like conservatives are good and liberals are bad. Not the case at all. You'll see in the next slide. Conservatives are not scared at all. All right, so here are some possible vision, elitist visions that, uh, that uh, governments can have. Uh, workers, you know, you know, paradox, something like that, right, this is the Marxist vision, or a racially pure uh, community, right, that's the Nazi vision, or whatever. Uh, these are elitist visions, that, and this is, this is a way in which uh, those in power try to enforce their vision on, onto the populace. Another one, safety, right? This is this is how we get ridiculous things like the TSA. It's, uh, it, it's a vision of, okay, we need to make sure that things are safe, so these are the things that we're going to do about it. Um, this, by the way, tends to come from the conservative side. Social justice, we're going to have equal outcomes for everyone for any particular thing. Um, and of course, uh, probably the worst violation, <laughs> uh, oftentimes, is keeping things the way they are, right? The vision of keeping the status quo forever. This is where you get too big to fail because they're, uh, they're scared of changing anything that might disrupt anything, right? Including allowing banks to fail. Um, you know, even, even today, right? There, there's a ton of people, a ton of businesses that have taken PPP loans. It's, we want to keep the status quo. We don't want things to change. That is the elitist vision behind that. And all of them are bad because they are taking away individual liberty. And it's not about conservative versus liberal. I mean, like, keeping the status quo is very literally conservative. It's conserving whatever (coughs) happens to exist right now. All of those are violations of our individual liberty, and they they are therefore immoral. Now, what are the consequences of, uh, you know, Enhancing individual liberty. If government does its job of protecting individuals, their natural law rights. Well, first of all, there's a lot more entrepreneurship because you don't need permission anymore, right? Like you can go do whatever, and it's something that you have a right to do without getting permission from somebody else that might violate, uh, you know, somebody else's uh, elitist vision. And that leads to virtue, this is a painting of the four cardinal virtues, this is prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude, I'll have more to say about that later. And all of that means that people get to build what they want, and this is how civilization builds, is that when people build what they want, you end up making lots of stuff, and you end up creating civilization. Now, the consequences of an elitist vision is that they are trying to take society to a particular place. And, uh, and that means that there's some permission required. There, there always needs to be some sort of bureaucratic stamp of approval on whatever it is that you want to do. And if you violate that, well, they're not gonna like you. They're gonna fine you, they're gonna pre- imprison you, take away your individual sovereignty. And that means that there's less virtue, ultimately, for individuals, because you're not incentivized to do all of these. It's hard to be an entrepreneur, right? And uh, you, you need prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. You need all of those things to be a successful one. But if you take, if you have another standard besides the market, then you're going to have different incentives, and that's essentially what happens when you have an elitist vision that everyone has to subscribe to. And ultimately, that means that we become slaves to the state. Right? With uh, with with the uh, when the government has the duty of uh, protecting individual liberty, um, then the state becomes servant to the people. But when there's an elitist vision that they are trying to promote or to go towards, then we become the slaves of the state. Right. That's the big difference here. If you're protecting individual liberty, the state is your servant. If it's an elitist vision, then you are its servant.
1: That really hit home for some reason. I think it's because he had a um, he had a picture up of somebody who was um, basically a martyr. Right. And when he said that, you know, they could take away your 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 liberty, they can take away um, your life, they can do all these things. But at the end of the day, Bitcoin is a belief system. And the next person is can 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 take that belief system, and 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 run with it. So this next speaking, um, it's not gonna be a surprise. It's it's Tone Vase. <laughs> there is one thing. This is my first time I've ever seeing Tone Vase um, like give a speaking. There's one thing about <laughs> that I noticed right away was this guy really captures a room. Uh, not quite like <laughs> like not quite like uh i, I still think the best speaker and, and this is not a knock on tone because it's totally not because i think this guy is just probably like one of the best speakers in the world um is uh andreas uh antonopoulos like i i think that is like he's just on another level of, of great speakers um his cadence everything the way he presents um how he talks like it, it's just like seeing it on, seeing his speakings on youtube that's fine but until you see him in person uh i don't I, i've never and to this day i still haven't seen a better <laughs> public speaker <laughs> uh, than him I, I mean he's just on a league of its own but i will say tone on on, on another hand he has a way of uh, capturing the room and, and i mean that not in a like uh, look at me, kind of way. More like um, he walks in the room and everybody's generally gets happy. And, and I know what you're probably saying you're probably like, "Oh, car, <laughs> what are you talking about?" No, it, it's kind of like, um, and and you know, I, I watch his YouTube videos when I have time. Uh, I, I generally like the guy. I think he's I think he's great. I know I think he says controversial things, uh, but you know, there's a lot of people in the space that say controversial things. Um, But I think what I think what he does is when he walks in a room, there's a genuine sense of like just everybody starts smiling. Right. Because Tone's in the room and you can kind of see that on stage. Like he has this way of being very open, um, upfront, uh, casual, easygoing guy like um, that was really shocking. I've never quite saw that. Uh, I guess it doesn't translate when you're watching it on YouTube or anything like that. But that was kind of interesting. And he really gave a a, a fascinating uh, and really very heavy on uh, on statistics, which <laughs> I was very surprised that he did his homework. Um, but uh, he, he literally comes out the gate and starts talking about Charles Hoskinson. And I didn't get a chance to record that. Um, but, you know, I thought that was completely fascinating. He just goes off on Cardano. Um, but he, he his speaking was about why only Bitcoin can be considered sufficiently decentralized, and I think he really convinces me of this of this point of view. I've always, me personally, I've always looked at uh, decentralization as a spectrum, right? Uh, being in the IT space, we know, I know, I know how clearly centralized a lot of things are. So when you see something like Bitcoin. I, I can see the, uh, the the overwhelmingly decentralization aspects of it, and, and be you know completely in awe of it because it's it, it's a breakthrough in computer science, you know. And so when I see these other platforms like, like Ethereum, like EOS, like Tezos, like Cardano, it's clearly centralized, but. I think um, what Tone does is take it to another level. He starts talking about how you have, you know, core developers in the Bitcoin ecosystem and you have miners, you have nodes, and he goes through this whole talk on all this stuff. But I think what he really hits home is Bitcoin is far more decentralized than any other blockchain out there. And there's a lot of people that will give Bitcoin crap for, you know, China holding a vast majority of mining power. Uh, but like I said in the past, you know, you can clearly see that it's shifting away from that being, you know, the main stat uh, And so he really brings a lot of statistics up here He even talks about nodes and how we've kind of gone down since 2017 It's uh, completely fascinating uh, surprisingly light litecoin has uh, far more decentralization than, <laughs> than I really thought uh, existed uh, as far as mining and um, but he really does a really good job explaining all this and I was just really impressed with his, his, uh, his insight on all the statistics. So with that, take a listen.
2: Is getting really, really advanced with second layer solutions and what is being built on top of it. Uh, so thank you, Lucas, Lucy, uh, for this graphic. Uh, it's from an article called Bitcoin's Technology Stack, uh, and it was also very good. Just talked about all of the innovation uh, that has taken place on top of Bitcoin and all these second layer solutions. So if you're only working on Lightning, are you a Bitcoin Core developer or not? So. And this is uh, the other thing to try and uh, explain to people that Bitcoin is just a foundation. You have all these layers being built on top and um, I can't wait and a lot of them are being built out at the same time and that's why when people say, well, when is lightning coming? When is this coming? But all of this is going to hit and and I'm expecting it to be functioning very, very well and it's all going to hit. At the right time, when we really, really need it. Uh, I, I know. I always say that I'm half embarrassed to say that I don't really use lightning all that much, but I haven't needed to. Uh, the Bitcoin on-chain transactions have been pretty cheap, and they've been pretty fast. A little less so lately. Uh, so, uh, but that's not my to-do list right now while quarantine is still on. Uh, to get my lightning game up because I think next year when the price of Bitcoin does rise and the moment we even come close to the old all-time old high, I think everyone's going to have to use lightning if you want your transactions to be fast, cheap and more private. So a lot of innovation is coming and I don't understand how any other projects can claim that their, the code of their project is sufficiently decentralized. I believe that's a challenge because you can name one or two developers and it kind of ends. And if you are old coin, can't hard fork because one guy wants to hard fork, that's not a decentralized uh, coding effort. So that's my view on it. Or the those believe the coders uh, and everything they say, which we're going to get to in a minute. All right, so let's move on to part two. So uh, the second part of what makes Bitcoin decentralized is mining. And uh, Guy Swan talked about this uh, earlier in his presentation, which was great. Uh, this is awesome. Like the, the people that spoke at PTC Pay Server have uh, been using it for about two years through my website. Uh, so that's uh, great. So uh, And of course, uh, we'll call it Multisig uh, and Jimmy Song. So the presentation has been awesome. But uh, Guy Swan talked about mining. And, uh, Bitcoin mining is, uh, now that I have a statistic, is as much as the country of Switzerland or past Switzerland, and eventually it will come up. I uh, can't wait till uh, Bitcoin mining uses more energy than uh, it's in the top 10 of all the countries. Uh, so that's what we're looking forward to. And anyone can join the mining game. Uh, the barrier to entry is uh, not simple, but anyone can do it, you don't need a license. Uh, You just need to understand uh, mining, you need to have access to the equipment, and you need to understand how to minimize your cost uh, with the electricity cost. And a lot of people love to demonize Bitcoin. This is the... I've debated Noriel Romini, and it's very, very frustrating when he sits there and says, Bitcoin is centralized because all the mining is done in China, and that's just incorrect on so many levels. Uh, because first of all, mining being centralized doesn't make Bitcoin centralized. <laughs> he's forgetting about the coding effort, which I just already explained, and he's not doesn't even understand the concept of a node, which I haven't even gotten to yet in this presentation. And mining isn't done by single person, it's done in pools, and anyone can join, enter, and exit the pool. And mining in China isn't as big as it was before, and even if it was big, that's still okay, because uh, the user-activated software proves that miners are not in control. Uh, they have a job, and it's a very, very important job. Very important job to keep Bitcoin decentralized. But uh, the pool operator still has a lot of theoretical control over what happens. Uh, but that's because everyone is still running uh, stratum version 1, in their pool software when a block is found, and that is what uh, Brains is trying to change, which is, uh, it's probably gonna happen on SlushPool first, uh, and that would give the individual miner inside the pool uh, more power as to, or more say, as to how that block is being structured. So now, every single pool adopts the new, uh, basically, the, the new code, to how to structure that block, then the picture would look more like the one on the right, where even though it doesn't matter what pool you're in, you're still in control, and the pool doesn't have this centralized aspect to the mining. And uh, mining does have play a crucial role because it decentralizes system for the third time. And this is what's weird how projects that don't even have mining try to claim that they are more decentralized than a project that does, because they just eliminated an entire third to maximize your sufficient decentralization. And we saw lots of shady things happening in the mining space, uh, mostly on uh, lesser altcoins. coins, uh, And there was a lawsuit going on now, again, with uh, our favorite punching bag, uh, Vcash, where uh, rumor had it that the hash rate from the bitcoins.com a uh, mining pool was used to defend the split versus Craig Wright because Craig Wright had more hashing power on that chain. Uh, they also were able to put. Uh, what do you call it? Like, uh, stop the code from being updated? There was checkpoints uh, into the code. So everything just went centralized in order to protect uh, your blockchain, which is not how it's supposed to work. So, uh, mining is certainly uh, going to get better. And here's a look at some of the other uh, tokens that are a proof of work as well. And you can see how. Uh, everything but Bitcoin, we have Bitcoin in the upper left, and you can see everything but Bitcoin can basically, uh, you have a 51% attack with just three miners. Now, 51% attack is a whole other thing we can talk about all day, but it's very, very challenging to do a 51% attack in Bitcoin because of game theory. It's very easy to do a 51% attack on an old coin. Ethereum Classic is not even on this list. Uh, they just had a 51% attack, and the reason why it was easy, uh, not the, one of the reasons is, is because there's not that much hash power on it, so it doesn't cost you much to acquire 51% of the hash rate. But the bigger aspect of why it can happen is because you have another coin you can move into, uh, and you're gonna attack it through an exchange, you're gonna double spend the exchange, but you can move that money into Bitcoin. If you try to 51% attack Bitcoin, where are you gonna move your money to? What is your exit point, right? How do you get it out? Uh, You can try and get it through the bank, but that's not gonna end well for you. So uh, there's a lot more things that protect Bitcoin from a 51% attack than the theory of, oh, I'll just have enough hashing power. Okay, how do you... Get the money out. It's like, hey, I just snuck into uh, the gold vault of the Federal Reserve. Okay, how do I get the gold out? Uh, that, that's the uh, that's the other problem. And uh, now, by just glancing at this real quick, Litecoin is still doing okay, and Ethereum is actually not doing too bad. They have like they have they uh, have two uh, of the pools. One of them is probably unknown. Uh, I'm not a big fan of, uh, you know it's a double-edged sword, Uh, if you have a big chunk that is unknown so you don't know who's mining it. On the one hand it's good, it's well, it's anonymous, you don't have to, no one has to know who's mining it. But then if like 80% of your mining is being done as unknown, you really don't know if it's a single miner that could attack the coin. And again, it it doesn't make sense to attack it if that's the highest level coin, like Bitcoin. But if it's not, it certainly will get attacked at some point. And the irony is that if we look at Ethereum, which I was gonna talk about at the end, but if we look at Ethereum, they have the same three aspects. You have nodes, you have miners, and you have the code. Well, it's pretty obvious that the coding is fairly centralized, even though they claim they have more developers. Uh, But it's not about the quantity. And some other projects, going back to the code part, it's not about the quantity of your developers. Do you want as many as possible? And it's definitely about the quality of your developers, but I'm sure there is some altcoin project out there that says we have the smartest engineer in the world. Yeah, but it's the combination of quality and quantity. If you have one amazing smart guy, um, okay, that's great. And if you have 18,000 coders that no one's ever heard of, that's okay. But that combination of quality and quantity is what separates Bitcoin from the rest. And Ethereum's mining is actually pretty decentralized. But guess what they want to do? If they want to go proof of stake, which just baffles the mind. Uh, They're going proof of stake because they understand that. Um, uh, the way their mining uh, is not going to last in the long term. But uh, it's just, to me, that's funny that that's the, out of the three things, as hard as it is to want to know that you can read stuff and Decrypt articles for that, they have, their nodes are way more centralized, full archive nodes. And their coding is centralized. The only aspect of their chain is decentralized is mining, and that's what they're looking to get rid of, which I find incredibly. Uh, comical. Alright, so let's move on to the last part, I have about 6 minutes left, and that's the nodes. So this is the one way that someone like myself can't actually participate. Yeah, I run one miner, but that's more of a hobby. I can't really help the Bitcoin network much by running a mining farm, not my specialty. My, uh, I do have a degree in financial engineering and I was coding at one point, but not very well. Uh, so that's not going to happen either, but I can run a full node. And that's really, really important. And if we look at the full nodes, and we all learn how important nodes are, again, during the user so software. And the latest statistics from BitNodes are estimating that there are about 10,000 nodes. You can see the concentrations in the US and in Europe, even more so in Europe. Uh, not as many in Asia. But these, these are statistics are on uh, listening nodes. So these are the nodes where uh, you're actually connected to the network and you're letting the network know that here's my node and it's uh, open. And now looked at Jr. has a different view on uh, nodes and uh, right here is a graphic from May 2019 and he estimates that there are a closer to a hundred thousand nodes, this is about 95,000 nodes, uh, because you don't have to you know, present to the world that this is my node and it's open on the network. Uh, However, uh, in this graphic you can see that he lists only 26,000 of those nodes as having the most updated and the most recent version of the code. It's because a lot of people, while they take some time to create that node, they don't pay enough attention to it to keep it updated. But here's the worst part. This is a May 2019 graphic that shows close to 100,000 nodes. Here's the one, here's a picture I took a few days ago. And this graphic, and if you just add those up, that's about 12,000, uh, 12,000, 12,000, 12, it's about 37 plus 5,000 of actual latest software updated nodes. And uh, where the prior graphic, if I have them next to each other, that was 26,000 in green, that's 5,000 in green. And if you add up all the nodes on the left-hand side, that's closer to 50,000. So according to Lukash Jr., we lost about 50,000 nodes in the last year. And again, this, this is really, really important that enough people, and 50,000 nodes is Sufficiently officially decentralized, but look, the area that has outdated code is also growing. And uh, these are, this is a little bit unfortunate. And hopefully, um, uh, like when Start9 was doing their demo and more projects will come out that will help people take sovereignty of their nodes to make that system, uh, that part of Bitcoin decentralization, more decentralized.
1: Yeah. And that was Bitblock Boom 2020. Um tone's vase was very insightful of course uh jimmy's was as well again there was other speakers that did a really great job and so you know hats off to the whole conference uh the lineup was just great i I felt like every speaking was tackling one aspect of the bitcoin ecosystem in a way and so you kind of got an update of sorts Um, for what was going on with the state of Bitcoin and now I'm going to give you kind of my recap on everything. So my thoughts on the conference were, I kind of have several, but one of the things that kind of surprised me was how many Bitcoin Twitter (laughs) accounts were kind of running through that whole place. There was multiple times where I would walk through the hallway and there was chatter of people trying to figure out who was who on Bitcoin Twitter. That was fascinating to me. Just because I mean, you know, I, I look at Bitcoin Twitter, I look at crypto Twitter, and I, I feel like I, you know, understand it. Um, but it was fascinating to hear that kind of talk. Almost like seeing almost like hearing tweets in a in a weird way. Um that was fascinating. Uh it I was just like, are people trying to figure out who's who? Like it was it was weird. That was really weird. That was surprising to me. Um, maybe it's just my uh, weirdness with social media. Um, there was a lot of people talking in the hallways as well too. There's a lot of people talking about the currency, about its potential collapse. That was that was serious stuff. I, I mean, it's one thing to say these things, uh, you know, in in a room when you're recording a podcast and after doing research, uh, and then even seeing it on TV, right? We've heard Ray Dalio talk about this, um, or even it being reported on the news, but it's an entirely different thing. Um, hearing people talk about it in in a, in a mass group setting uh, environment, like, and, and there was there's you know a few hundred in that room, uh, so it was it was just kind of it's I guess it was just a weird um, uh, just kind of. A weird experience because everybody was kind of like talking about it so um yeah so lots of talk about the currency you know impending collapse uh it was kind of strange but uh it's kind of seeing things from a different point of view um and then um confidence confidence is a fragile thing (laughs) you know and when it comes to bitcoin's confidence um you really understand how important that is. And I'm not just talking about confidence in, in it as sound money or, or a store value or store wealth. Like it's confidence in its ecosystem, confidence in the chain itself, confidence it's, it's impending run, right. Of, of how it's going to change the world. So yeah, confidence is a fragile thing. That was kind of something that I just kept seeing over and over. It's just like, wow, that's, I mean, it, it's, it's really that, to its core a, a belief, you know, and I, I never true. I mean, I feel like I did understand that, but seeing so many people in a room and seeing that confidence firsthand and seeing that belief firsthand, and they were all Bitcoiners. There was no talk of any other, you know, uh, cryptocurrency. It was just pure Bitcoin talk. Um, and, 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 and so seeing that talk about Bitcoin exclusively Bitcoin, Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was an interesting thing to, to see. Uh, and that's, there's something special about that. Um, there is definitely something special about that for sure. Um, and then also, I also realized like a lot of the information that's out there in the space is not getting reported, right? Uh, it's also not getting televised on the, on the news. It's also not even being shared or disseminated across the Bitcoin ecosystem or crypto ecosystem. Um, there's a lot of access to this type of information that people just don't have access to it. Um, and that was one of the things I, I really took pride in was that, I, you know, I have a subscription show and we do our whole Thriller Crypto Premium show and I like to think I bring you guys the most up-to-date information with Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies and, and try to keep you up-to-date as possibly as I can uh, and really be that that nose and that ear to the ground, right? Just looking, searching for everything. And it was really good seeing that not a lot of people knew this stuff, uh, What what was being said on stage. Um, And hearing the vast majority of it, there's a couple of things where I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, But I'm glad I know that now. Now I know where to look (laughs) for that information. Or now I know how to present that to my listeners. Or now I know how to give that to my listeners and and keep them informed about that. Uh, So there's information that you just can't get unless you go to a conference. But I'm so lucky that I was in that room to hear that, right? Because if you watch it in a live stream, that's easily forgotten. Um, but it's something about seeing something on stage, hearing people talk about it, or even going in the hallways and talking to people. Like you, you're just you're gonna pick up things that you wouldn't have picked up if you weren't if you weren't seeing it if you weren't actually physically there. Um, so even though information might be imperfect some of the times, um, it really won't reach everybody. Uh, so I would say. In, in another sense, every single person that's listening to this right now is extremely lucky um, because we are in a special group of people that is privy to this information that other people don't have that information. That was one of the main reasons why I wanted to do that Bitcoin audiobook. This this type of information won't reach everybody. So you know, be sure to share it with your friends and your family. Um, and I know they don't want to hear it, but... You still need to tell them <laughs> that these there's things that are already going to happen. Uh, it's just a matter of you know when, um, right? So those were the kind of thoughts that I came out of the um, of the conference. He really put on an amazing conference. His team very professional. Um, very, very, very nice, the way the uh, everything was set up. Uh, probably one of the most, um, ex- it felt very really exclusive in a way. Um, so th- it had a very distinct style to it, which I thought was really cool. Um, and I would say this conference is definitely something that gives you an understanding of where Bitcoin is in that in that time and if you're ever unsure of what the state of bitcoin is you could probably always head to bitcoin you could always go to bitblock boom and find out the state of bitcoin and there's other bitcoin conferences like the bitcoin 2020 conference but it's not pure it's not a pure bitcoin experience there's other you know coins there or other projects there so it's not purely a bitcoin Conference, um, but Bitblock Boom is a pure, pure Bitcoiner conference for sure. Um, I didn't see one alt altcoin <laughs> at all, or even talk of it. Um, not because you can't say it, because there was really no reason. Everybody's talking about Bitcoin, so it's it's really fascinating to see that. Um, so yeah, looking forward to it next year for sure. So I hope you guys enjoyed the coverage of BitBlockboom. There's one thing about this space and one thing that everybody should know is you're going to constantly be learning. And I really saw that this weekend. I felt very confident going into this Bitcoin conference thinking I knew everything about Bitcoin, thinking I had just created a Bitcoin audiobook. Of course, I know what's going on but I was actually hit in the face a couple times with some serious facts that I just didn't know. I'm grateful for the speakers and the presenters that actually went on stage and explained this to everybody because now I feel like I've leveled up. And honestly, that's an even better opportunity for y'all because with that, I can better give you the information that you need on a weekly basis. So see you next time.